Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. Dark Travels Toastus. Tonight we have a Road Trip with the Panda. In 1995, a team of paranormal travel podcasters found an abandoned cub in the haunted Arctic. After some kick-ass paranormal training and his first alien kill, he was ready. He was ready. So, if ghosts, serial killers, or monsters in the dark got you scared, don't hesitate to call the Polar Bear. The Polar And Samantha. <laughs> Slasher Sam. She's not a bear. Am I needed here? Can I just go now? <laughs> she no. could be the black bear. The grizzly bear. The, the grizzly the Sam. The grizzly Sam. <laughs> There's a, those are good thoughts. Koala bear. Oh, I love a koala bear. I'm really into the panda. I'm kind of upset about this. You're sorry, you got hepatitis yeah, you for your koala bear. You took it. <laughs> <laughs> Bear fight, bear fight. Yeah, like, thanks for ruining that. I'm just saying that's what they are. You ever heard them yell? They're terrifying. Koala bears? Yeah. Have you Why heard did you hear them yell? Have you seen a video on a, <laughs> about koala? Yeah, TikToks were just simple YouTube back in 2009 or whatever, man. Oh, you ever heard a koala? It's terrible. What does it sound like? Oh, man. Look it up. Was that a goose or? <laughs> it did sound it, like a goose it, right that there. Was yeah. le- that was less scary than what a koala actually sounds like. I'm sorry. Did your phone die? Yeah, Bina no, just no. told <laughs> you that you were at the <laughs> zoo. You were actually at the koala. park. <laughs> Show me the koala before we get. Why you go on? Do your podcast. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, normally we'd introduce kind of not really. So this topic that we're talking about tonight has kind of been considered America's dial tough past because there's such huge questions. Why and what happened? Why and what happened? Oh, yeah, and there's so many simula- similarities between them. With yes. The, with the snow and the... Bizarre behavior. <laughs> yeah. Correct. Um, yeah. But it also hits close to home. Correct. I mean, it's literally in our backyard. Right. So, kicking, go ahead well, with your sorry, koala bear cry here. Oh, you have to turn it up. I turned it off Why for the podcast purposes. It sounds like a pig. Yes. <laughs> now it sounds I like a donkey. Just that koalas are evil. <laughs> <laughs> 
They are not good. I mean, they seem sweet and cuddly, and I'm sure they're cool, but man alive, they make some weird shit happen, man. Yeah, you did just kind of ruin my life. There you go. Koalas for life. <laughs> okay. Just be a red panda. She looks like a red oh, panda. Oh, yeah. She should be a red panda. That'd be a good one. That's cute. Because I didn't want to ruin it for anybody here, but you know koalas have a high probability of having chlamydia. Oh, yeah. I said, what did I say? He said heterotitis. I was like, I don't think that's the right one, but I was going to let you go with it. Yes, chlamydia. All right. So speaking of our topic tonight, you want to kick us off? Oh, yes, I do. So we are talking about the Yuba City Five, and the story of the Yuba City Five begins on a winter night in February 1978 when five men from Yuba City, California, traveled to Chico for a basketball game before disappearing in the Northern California forest. All five of the men were from Yuba City, California, which is Northern California, not San Francisco, way up higher where it snows. Thank you very much. In Yuba City, these five men became friends while playing on a local basketball team for people with mental disabilities at the Yuba City Vocational Rehabilitation Center. On February 24, 1978, Jackie Hewitt, Bill Sterling, Jack Madruga, Ted Wire, and Gary Mathis drove 50 miles north from Yuba City to Chico, California, to watch the basketball game between UC Davis and Chico State. Ted was the oldest of the men. He was 32 years old and described as showing signs of autism, because this is back in the day when we don't think this is a thing. We don't know it's a spectrum. Right. Jack Maruga was 30 years old and described as a slow learner, because that's the terms we used back then. He was a mili- or an army vet with a driver's license. He owned his beloved tortoise, and he drove a white 1969 Mercury Montego. That vehicle was the vehicle that they were driving the night of the game. Jack often drove the group around. Bill Sterling was 28 years old and described as intellectually disabled. Once again, another vague, random term that they used because they didn't know how to explain it. Jackie Hewitt was the baby of the group. And he was 24 years old with unspecified physical and mental disabilities. And the last member of the Yuba City Five was 25-year-old Gary Mathias. Mathis? Mathias? I don't know. Yeah, let's go with that. Gary served in the Army, and it was reported that while he was in West Germany, he used drugs heavily. He was later discharged from the Army because he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and as we, you know, have kind of alluded to, that was something that was not good. I mean, untreated schizophrenia is not great, but any type of mental disability or physical disability, I'm pretty sure, would get you kicked out of the armed forces back in the day. Gary had been in and out of mental health institutions, and at the time of this basketball game, he was only being treated with antipsychotics and was said to have been doing well. All five of the men lived at home with their parents, but were mostly independent with some of the men holding jobs, and they even went on little small trips together, normally driven in that Montego. I'm like, I've never even seen what that car looks like, but I have it in my head. The Yuba City Five had an upcoming basketball tournament on February 25th, 1978, that was organized by the Special Olympics. The winning team of that tournament would receive a week-long trip to Los Angeles. These boys, as they were later later doomed and determined, they called them boys even though they were men in all of the things that I saw, and quite often their family called them boys, which I thought was interesting. They were determined to win this tournament so that they could go on that trip, and they are have they are said to have wanting to go to the basketball game in Chico to give themselves an advantage, kind of help them 
like getting the the mindset and get some ideas of what to do. Their excitement was evident as they prepared the night before the tournament with Ted even asking his mom to wash his high top sneakers and Gary reminding his mom not to let him sleep in. The boys attended the game at Chico State as planned and were even on surveillance footage purchasing snacks and drinks for the ride home. However, the boys, as they're referred to, as I said before, never made it home. Well, that's funny because when I was typing up my part of this, I would keep typing, I type in the boys, the boys, and then I look and I was like, fuck, they're thir- 30s and 20, late 20s. I was like, the men. <laughs> I'm going to put lost. this out there because I had the same vibe. Like I kept putting the boys and everyone kept, like I said, every article that I read and I read so many of them and even the articles were like, well, you know, they call them boys because like that's what their parents called them because they still kind of, you know, right. they're viewed them as their children regardless of how old they are. But to me, it almost felt derogatory to call them boys because it felt like they were calling them boys because of their m- diminished mental capabilities. And so it felt like they didn't feel like they were men, you know, like that the reporters of the time were just like, oh, boys, this boys, that. And it's like, no, they were grown men, just not grown men that maybe had the functioning and capabilities of everyone else, but that doesn't make them not men. It was just interesting. So I tried to stay towards men. Yeah. I had to go go back and change a couple of things. So I might slip up. We'll, we'll find out. I did. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do the witnesses of the case, and they say there was many, but there weren't very many real ones. The first witness that confirmed that the boys were at the basketball game was Mr. Lee, a newspaper executive editor he witnessed the yuba city five at the basketball game at the beginning at 8 p.m and then he confirmed that they stayed the entire time and left at approximately 10 p.m at the end of the game and they they didn't seem on edge or anything they they seemed like they were quietly having a good time mary davis was a store cashier at the bears market in chico as you previously mentioned where they were seen buying snacks so she witnessed the men coming into the store around 10 p.m. It stood out to her because the men came in at about closing time, which annoyed her to have to keep the store open just for them. However, she noted that the five men were happy and excited and bought, uh, bought above average amount of junk food from the store. Yeah, like <sighs> chocolate bars, drinks, chips, it sounded like. Kind yeah. of some like snacks for the ride home. Yeah, I mean, that's... It was very specific with what they bought because I saw chocolate and chocolate bars a lot. And I was yeah. like, why did we notice this? <laughs> well, I mean, well, that's where we had our talk about boys and men. Like, I mean, n- now we'd probably get like a fucking Red Bull and some chips. But like back in high school, I would probably get a fucking crap ton of candy and, you know, soda and, soda and stuff. And, you know, just. Stuff you're not allowed to have at home, or you don't have at home, or whatever. Well, yeah, that would like, that doesn't surprise me. They're buying a bunch of candy because I mean, who knows if they're and this is the '70s, so it was a different kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Well, and what then. was available? Definitely right. not a Red Bull. Also, I've lived multiple decades. I'm still buying candy at the gas station yeah. every time. All, all day? All day? All like day. beef jerky and candy all day, every day. Twenty nine all day. <laughs> so probably. One of the most important witnesses to the case, and the shadiest, was Joseph Schoen. He's a 56-year-old man. He was staying in his vacation home. He decided to go have a drink nearby uh, at the nearby bar. He drove to the Brush Creek Bar and had a drink there. 
then continued on the same road and stopped at the Mountain House Bar. While having a drink, he talked about how he was going to the mountain to check the snow levels for when his family came up to visit, which sounded strange to the other people at the bar because Shone was a local and should have known that in the weather, in weather like it was that night, it was very easy for cars to get stuck. So Shone, however, left the Mountain House bar and headed up in his Volkswagen Bug for approximately seven miles where he lost traction and got his car stuck at about 6 p.m. So this strange, one of the, like, there's two strange parts about this. One, why is he heading up the mountain when check he knows, yeah, when he <laughs> knows you, he's going to get that? stuck? Don't that you know that? Don't you ever check the yeah, snow levels? Check the snow levels all the time. <laughs> winter night. After several drinks at two bars, he took his... Volkswagen bug. Dude, he had a great idea. He <laughs> took advantage of it. Have you, you ever like, driven a bug? You ever had a good idea at a bar? <laughs> <laughs> I had. Let's okay. Go, let's fucking go. Let's go check the snow levels. Anyway, so Sean, being stuck in the snow, tried to get his bug unstuck by pushing it out of the snow. However, the strain on his body was too much, and he suffered a minor heart attack while trying to do so. The following hours really sucked for Sean. He got back into his car where he turned on the heat to stay warm and tried to get his body under control. For the following hours, he said that he would get out to throw up and defecate outside because of his heart attack. So, I, don't, I mean, I've never had a heart attack. I don't know what it does to you, but I guess it really fucked him up. I didn't think he was. How old? Did you say how old he was? 56. 56? Okay. Yeah, I guess his heart attack age, whatever. So... He got back. You can have a heart attack at any age, just so we're very clear on that. Mm-hmm. Well, look at all these nineteen-year-olds <laughs> that are having them right now. These it's the Red Bull. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's the Red Bull. <laughs> Until he got back in his car, uh, finally got warm, finally got his body un- under control, and he fell asleep. Shown uh, awoke to his windows being fogged up, but he seen lights shining into his car and a whistling from outside, as if someone was calling their dog so he got out of the car and said that he he honked the horn and yelled to the other people down the down the road to get their attention because he needed help but with no response he said that he saw a sedan car and what looked like a rust colored pickup truck behind it he seen silhouettes moving around and he said one of them appeared to be a woman holding a baby and that quote popped up Everywhere that I looked, yeah, uh, that there was a woman holding a baby in the snow. Yeah. Also checking the snow levels. So <laughs> yeah. So Three then babies tall. <laughs> <laughs> so then, no. all of the figures got into the truck, and the truck drove away, leaving the sedan behind. Sean's car finally ran out of gas sometime throughout the night, and he decided to make the seven-mile walk back to the bar. I mean, he probably felt better after his heart attack, I guess. And pooping in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> it was in the woods. It was next to the car. Cause, oh, sorry. Because later pooping on. Pooping in the snow. <laughs> yeah. This comes back. <laughs> yeah, later on when they were doing investigation, they, they noticed that the, they he see threw the poop. up and he pooped. They see the yeah. What kind of bear was this? <laughs> <laughs> so as he began walking, he realized that the sedan that was left behind was a Mercury Montego, which is the car that our men, the Yuba City Five, 
were driving to the to the place. And he noted that for some reason, the interior of the car looked like it belonged to a child. So then Sean stumbled into the bar um, morning at 10 a.m. and sat down at the bar. He, he, he put his hand on his head and made a statement, a quote here, I should have done this two years ago, end quote, heard by the bartender and the other people at the bar. He asked for some aspirin and for some, uh, someone to drive him home. Steve Robbins and his girlfriend, Laura Lynn Smith, um, volunteered. And on the drive, Sean th- said that the reason he got stuck was because another vehicle followed him so close he had to drive up the hill and get stuck to get away. So somebody kind of like tail- tailgated him until they forced him off the road. A completely different story that he'll tell the investig- investigators later. The following day, Mrs. Schoen and her mentally handicapped daughter arrived from Sacramento, found Mr. Schoen in a bed state at home, and then decided, uh, heard his story, and then decided to go up and get the Volkswagen out. However, they weren't able to do so because it was stuck in a bunch of snow. They actually ended up moving the car closer to the Montego. March 2nd, Sean t- told the investigators the group he saw could have been anywhere from 2 to 12 people in the middle of the night. And he blamed some of it on hallucinating because of how bad state he was. And even though he told his wife about the red pickup truck or rust-colored pickup truck, he told the investigators there was only the Montego. Many witnesses started to come forward after the boys were declared missing. One stood out more than others, because the other ones were kind of written off as, it's not them, that the identification was kind of an issue. Rosetta Florence Mulder said that on February 26, she pulled up to a convenience store in Brownsville, where she parked next to a red Chevy pickup truck, and two men in the truck smiled at her. She got the sense that they were mentally challenged. She also saw two men at a payphone. Uh, when shown pictures of the victims, she had identified Sterling, Wire in the truck, and Hewitt was on the payphone, and Madrega. Well, Jack, Jack Madrego. Madrega. Madrega. Was standing next to him. Carol Waltz, the manager of Mary's Country Store in Brownsville, also identified Wheeler, Hewitt, uh, Wheeler and Hewitt as being in a group of five or six men that shopped there February 25th and 26th and drove there in the old red pickup truck. Now, did she say that they were one of them was the driver or? So she didn't see the driver. She just saw two in the back seat, two on the phone, and then she noted there she's seen another guy in the store, but she didn't identify him through with the pictures. Okay. But what's so curious about this case, the February 25th and 26th, was several days after the boys didn't come home and were declared missing. That's it. And then March 7th, we go back to Mr. Schoen, who was in- interviewed again in person, where he changed his story again, saying that he did see a red pickup truck. And when asked to describe the individuals he saw the night in greater detail, he got really defensive and said, I get the feeling you guys think I, I know something about these dudes. And that was completely different from the behavior he showed throughout the the entire investigation. 
So, interestingly enough, their car actually gets spotted by a park ranger because they're actually on park this road when they finally hit this particular section of the road. They're they're on, I think, Plumas County or Plumas National Park. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of for federal lands up here. Correct. Which was curious because that was not the road home, right? Right. In fact, it's 70 directions and 70 miles in the opposite direction. And you're talking, they're going uphill. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you're familiar with the road between Yuba City and Chico, it is almost a straight line, minus one deviant if you go towards Oroville. There's a split mm-hmm. in the highway. If you take, coming from Chico, if you take the right, you go home to Yuba. You take the left, you go on to Oroville. And that's the road that they're certain that the boys took. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way. That's, I think, the family even referred to them as a group, the boys. No, I mean, that's what people called them. I just think the time speaks to, because, like, right. I'm of the age of those boys, and no one would call me a girl, you know? Right. So I, I just think it speaks to the time, which is why I changed it, but I don't think you guys mean it demeaning by any means. So not only do they go 70 miles in the opposite direction, they go through Oroville, and they go up a mountain that, I think they go as high as 4,400 4, in elevation. So they're, for some reason, this is the why and the what happened. This is the point, the deviation between the second they buy all those uh, goodies after the basketball game to the point where the ranger finds the car, irregardless of, you know, questionable witnesses pooping on the side of the road, whatever. The park ranger puts their car there on the 25th. He notices it. In fact, I think he even noticed the fact that the Volkswagen was right next to the the the, Mer- the, Mer- the Mercury? Montego. Montego. The Montego. But he, he, at that point in time, nobody has sounded the alarm when the park ranger sees the cars there. When he finds out that the police are actively looking for this type of car, he actually contacts them on the 28th. So, you know, just three days. Again, but that's enough, you understand. So, can I go back for a second? So, we did kind of miss that the boys did not come home, and so their parents were really concerned about it, obviously, because they lived at their houses, but they were so excited about this tournament, there would be no way that they missed them. So they did send the police out, to your point, and the police did go along that path that they should have taken to get back home, and they did not, and there was no signs of them, which led us to then where you're talking about. Right. So, and again, you know, kind of to drive one of the points home, with despite their disabilities, they were pretty kind of rigid on their plans. They did not like to deviate from their plans. That's how come some of them set out their uniforms. One of them asked to please remember to wake me up. I don't want to be late because they were very right focused. oriented, and that was it was a big deal for them. The, the Special Olympic basketball game. They I wanted mean, to win. They wanted to go to LA. This was what they wanted. Well, and to be clear, children with autism, people with autism, do better with routine and schedules, and that does help them. like control that external chaos that they feel so it would be very likely especially if one of them does have autism for them to want to have a very rigid schedule and 
mind you, they also live with their parents. So I'm sure there's some level of like, this is what we're doing. This is when we're coming back. And they probably were very accountable to their parents as well. Absolutely. So again, this whole, this is the point. Why? What, why, what was, what made them go 70 miles in, in the wrong direction? So again, when the forest ranger gets news that this is the car that they're looking for, they contact the police. The police actually do come out and they notice a couple of things about the car. One, even though the car is in the snowbank, it, it was easily something they could have gotten out of. They notice, like, you know, sometimes when, we, when it snows, the tires will spin, but if someone had just kind of pushed it out. Put they, your floor mats under the tires. We've all done it correct. up here in the snow. <laughs> it was a simple out, but for some reason that didn't happen. And... You know, one of the odd factors about this was Jack, who was the owner of this car, was very meticulous about his car. He did maintenance on his car. He loved this car. This was his pride and joy. So he would have known, hey, I just need one of you to push. We're we're gone. Well, to that point also, these are adults that have lived multiple decades of their life in this region. So they would have known naturally – a, that there's snow, B, this is the type of season, and this is how we handle those things. And right. I think that kind of got brushed over a little bit because that makes it even more weird. Like all of us from the snow know what we need to do, know where the snow is, know the eve- uh, elevation. We know how to get our cars unstuck. Right. So that was interesting. So the other thing that they found, because, again, Jack was very meticulous about his car, was the car was actually left unlocked. And the driver's side window was rolled down. So here now he has left his prized possession on a mountain in in a very precarious position to get stolen. Right. And that's not something Jack would have done normally. So that is February 28th. Now, they do actually start a search party. They kind of start looking around. However, not only does the weather turn pretty bad, because you have to remember this is February. It still can be, the weather lasts till July around here. Okay. I was going to say, we had right. snow till winter. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> right, depending on whether or not it wants to or not. But either way, the point is the search party, one person almost like had a heart attack because they were judging through the snow and another person was having other health issues. So they ended up calling it off between the bad weather and the search party suddenly becoming their own search and rescue party. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think, I think what I heard was uh, they spent 6,000 combined man hours looking for these guys. Right. So, I mean, there was an effort. A big effort. Unfortunately, again, the, the, it's it almost as if a lot of things, the second whatever happens, happens, it really turns against these poor guys. Now, it's not until June 4th that word gets out to their eventual fates. On June 4th, a group of motorcyclists who decided that they were going to check out the Plumas National Forest, because they can, by now, the weather, the roads are accessible, they drive up from the point of where the car was a solid 20 miles and they discover this cabin 
this this national forest cabin that is actually what they call like a survivalist cabin for the rangers if there is a problem. They notice that one of the windows, they are, they're, it kind of sounded like not to, kind of sound like they were kind of looking to kind of do hood rat shit themselves <laughs> when they noticed that the window next to the door was open. <laughs> so they go in and they open it up and they're greeted with this horrendous stench. And they're like, holy shit, what is this? They go in and they find the wrapped body of Ted Ted, uh, here. Wire. 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 Sorry, thank you. Wire with an H. Correct. Once again, we're all guessing here. And he is literally wrapped in eight sheets all the way up to his head, over his head. Like mummified. Correct. His feet were severely frostbitten, and he's actually missing toes. His foot has is gangrenous. He, his body was emaciated. He kind of weighed about 200 pounds. By the time they find him, he has lost half of his body weight, and he is sporting a, a lengthy beard. Now, this is very important because it suggests that he had lived for a significant amount of time post-arrival of this cabin. He obviously makes it to the cabin. He obviously is living in the cabin. And so they're like two to three months He's living in this cabin. Now next to the table, now next to the bed of the table where Ted is found, they find some of his personal effects, his wallet, which has cash, a nickel ring with the word Ted engraved on it, and a gold necklace that he also wore. They also find a gold watch without crystals that didn't belong to Ted and a partially melted candle. And he's basically wearing the clothes that he was last seen in. Oddly enough, though, his shoes are not found. But Gary Mathias's shoes are on the floor, I think relatively close to the bed. Now, per his autopsy, it is determined that Ted dies from hypothermia and starvation. And in addition to that, you know, they find other remnants that suggest that Somebody had been there for a significant amount of time. They find a number of canned goods that were opened and consumed. But the other thing was these particular cans required or they had access to a particular can opener that Ted did not know how to use, but that somebody in the military, like Gary, would have been able to utilize because he was taught how to use. So at this point in time... You know, on on June 4th, they're thinking, obviously, uh, Gary Mathis makes it because of the can opening scenario. And they think it's potentially that Jackie Hewitt makes it to this particular trailer cabin. And the other thing is, is the, uh, like I said before, they find Gary Mathis's tennis shoes in the trailer, but Ted's leather shoes is completely missing. So they have cans opened. And the other thing that they find very interesting, so this trailer or cabin actually had like two sheds just right outside. And it was obvious that somebody had used a crowbar and that's where they found the food. However, in the second shed, there were clothes that would have been far more appropriate for somebody 
who needed warm clothing, shoes that would have been more appropriate, and additional food. Yeah, didn't I read somewhere that there was so much food it would have kept all five of them them alive for like a year? Yeah. Correct. And but Ted still dies of starvation with bare feet and no toes when there's all this other stuff. Correct. And to add to the mystery, they never even start a fire to warm themselves up, even though the cabin had matchbooks, you know, books. They could start a fire. They had a butane tank for heat that all they had to do was turn it on. But for some reason, they never really utilize the, the, the tools to keep them warm. So, And again, it's... Friday, Friday, February can be one of the most coldest months, but cold is still cold during the winter. Now, so yes, what you just said about how there was still food available, and again, why Ted dies of starvation is a mystery. Now, so they find him on the 4th. They're there. On June 5th, starting from the cabin, the police decide to walk from the cabin down to the direction of the car, where the car would have been. As they do, they find the remains of Jack Madruga and Bill Sterling several miles away. In fact, they kind of, like, down the road, they kind of are opposite. Their bodies are found opposite of each other on this particular road. So 11.4 miles from the car, you know, going up, Madruga was partially eaten by animals and he was dragged to a stream. He laid face up. His right hand was curled around his watch. Sterling was dragged into a wooded area on the opposite side, about 50 feet. And there was basically nothing left of him, but bones. And uh, obviously animals had taken to or Bigfoot, right? And so their autopsies would confirm that they both actually ended up dying of hypothermia. Now, kind of projecting what potentially happened at this point, it's believed that one or the other sat down because they couldn't do it anymore. And one of the things we didn't mention previously that I'll mention now, because the boys were anticipating a return home, you know, this was their plan. Jack didn't take a jacket. So chances are Jack sat down because they're in the freezing snow. And Bill, who was his best friend. Right. It was kind of weird the way they were friends. It was those two and then the other two. And uh, Gary was kind of the fifth man out. But it's been hypothesized that Bill wasn't going to leave. My assumption is Jack sat down because he didn't have a jacket. But Bill wasn't going to leave Jack. And that's how come they both ended up dying. Oh, they probably died next to each other, and then the animals drugged the bugs. Correct. Off right, he months, was like holding yeah. him, yeah, trying to keep him warm. After that, yeah. Which, to also clarify, Chico is actually pretty warm. So even though there's lots of places up here that have snow and are cold, you drive an hour in the opposite direction, and it can be warm. So them coming from Yuba City and being in the valley, just because they drove through the mountains, those two cities might have been significantly warmer, which is why they wouldn't need jackets. Right, and there's too. no snow. Yeah, right. and you start driving up, and that was where the elevation comes into effect. Now, on June 7th, they're still looking for Jackie Hewitt. They don't know where he is. And his father joins the search, 
And sadly, it's his father that finds his clothes under a manzanita bush. And as he picks up the jacket, the backbone of Jackie basically just falls out from from underneath the clothing. And they find his shoes. And I think they find, like, pants and a shirt. It's a day later, about 100 yards from where they find Jackie, that a sheriff will find Jackie's head and find his skull. And again, he's gone. It's, I mean, but they do believe that his death was contributed to hypothermia. Now, it's kind of hard to kind of paint this picture as, and, and because here's the deal. The, if we start at the bottom where the car was, okay, apparently there were two trails, but it starts off as one. But it splits off, and it is believed this is why the boys took this particular trail. From the car, the trail goes up, and it splits off where a, the national park possibly plowed the road and hence made it easier for them to walk the road. So they go up the trail that's been plowed, but the, that particular trail is like the longer way around to the cabin that would have been, I think, 10 miles from the car. So they essentially end up hiking about 20 miles because this trail added 10, the split trail portion added 10 miles all the way around. So it's believed that 11 miles from the car, uh, Jack and Bill die together on the road. Then they take the split or is on the split. And as they're coming around to the cabin, two miles from the cabin, that's when the other Jackie dies. So it, it is believed that Gary and Ted at least made it to the cabin and or trailer. Right. So that's how come it's like this. And it's sad and tragic because had they just stuck with the the original trail and not take the split, just like the original drive home, they would have potentially have made it well that but even if they continued down the road same as uh right, if they just did, backtracked well yeah the bar is only seven miles down the road and it was a hundred yards to a a rocky path as opposed to ice and snow so if they had just gone a football field back down the road they wouldn't have been walking on ice at all or snow if they had gone the other way those service trails are weird, though, because that path that they could have gone probably was like a trail trail that like forest rangers would know about because this is an emergency cabin, whereas a lot of people probably couldn't have seen it. So they probably went the plowed road, which was an actual road road, which is why the Forest Service plowed it because they don't plow everything. They only plow their access roads. So it's kind of interesting how that shook out and kind of pushed them even in that direction. Right, right. So that's how four of the men die the big question is is that they are unable to find gary at all he's gone matthias and you know the thing the thing to kind of i know people kind of point the finger really quickly at him as oh, why? Pr- because he's a schizophrenic and he has a, a history of uh, violence. Well, that's that's <laughs> the th- that's the theory on that is that Matthias took him out there. So he he's also one of the only two of the people have driver's license. It was him, 
and the guy who owned the car. The guy who owned the car. Jack. 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 But the big problem with that is Jack wouldn't let anyone else mess with his car because that's his car. So it's kind of weird that why would Matthias be driving? But so that's why it's hard to blame it on him because Jack would have been driving. So that's one of the theories that Matthias somehow took him up there. But the theory is that Matthias had a friend in called a place called Forbes Town, which is somewhere up there. It's not a very big town. But the friend hadn't seen Matthias in over a year. Mm. So it's like, oh, here's a friend from over a year ago that we can go visit at 10 o'clock at night. Do you have a red, red truck? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, and it is easy to just say he's schizophrenic, so he must have been in having an episode and he did this. Or to just say he's the only one alive, so clearly he's the one that did right. this. Right. So the public and everyone else is, uh, did the same exact thing. He just attacked Matthias because of schizophrenic schizophrenia. But the mother would defend him every chance she got until you know she passed away. But every time there was an interview, even like Sacramento Bee would come and try to cover the story. But she had told the interview, everyone who talked to her, that he had been frequently taking his medicine for the last two years. Well, not only that, I think his counselor from the program that they were all participating in said he was doing really well. Right. So, and, but he's had problems with the law before. He's had plenty of run-ins with police. He's getting kicked out of the military. He's had his own flaws and problems. So that's why it was easy just to scapegoat. But, so, I mean, it is possible that he still could have been the problem but it's always possible so I yes and here's kind of where just to confirm too I, I know I did not mention this earlier when Jack was found on the road he had his car keys on him like in his hand the other thing that kind of to me is a big big red flag okay is two things actually number one let's say it, he he was fine Gary was fine but if you don't take your medicine, everything goes to shit over time. Well, but that's time. That is Correct. like not a day. It is like Correct. 30 days. So, I mean, who knows what, what her state of mind was 30 days right. post. However, the one big thing for me that's kind of an interesting red flag, when they were searching around the area, they came across like a, a big flashlight and three blankets out in the forest as if someone had carried them out. And to me, the reason why this is a big red flag is, say, for example, and this is just an example, just a theory, Gary and Ted finally make it, and Gary says to Ted, I'm going to go back and I'm going to go give him blankets. Guys, yeah. I'm going to help them. Then why do you not help them? Okay, I honestly have a complete different view on that because this guy was stationed in West Germany. It is cold there. So he's doing training. He's getting survival techniques in a place that's probably very comparable to what he's trying to survive in. And we, it says Jackie had unspecified physical disabilities. So there's a good chance that he just couldn't go anymore. And these guys are out of their element. You have one that's potentially autistic that, you know, probably likes his routine so, I mean, it's, and this guy, Gary, he's a soldier. How many people did he have to leave behind? How many people have, you know, they've kind of tell you, like, when survival happens, like, yeah, you try to get your guys, but you try to live. Like, that's ingrained in them to some extent, you know? Well, one of the things that we haven't mentioned about Gary, and this is, again, one of those, mm-hmm, but uh, he, when he was not doing well, he wanted to go live with his grandmother who lived in Portland, Oregon. 
the, his parents were like, this is not a good idea. And to be fair, I didn't think it was a good idea either. Someone who's suffering from a mental health issue living with a senior citizen. Well, he somehow managed to hike, walk, thumb from Portland, Oregon, all the way down to Yuba City on his own accord, across two states. And so we know he has the capability of getting through to his final destination, whatever that is. Again, I, I'm not sold that it's scary. I mean, we're all just theorizing. These are all just theories. And the, the sad part is, I mean, we're talking pretty much 40-ish years ago, a little more than 40. And it's, I mean, for all we know, he could have been legitimately on the level. Whatever happened, maybe probably had something to do with the red truck, not even Gary, and he is died in the forest trying to get help, and that's why Ted starved because he thought he could make the clearing to get help. He would, you know, I'll be gone in a day or two, and he fell in something, froze to death, something. I mean, that's that. I mean, on top of all the big questions as to why and why did you do this, it's the the bigger question or a big question to ask is where's Gary, right? So you had some theories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Other than the ones you just shared. <laughs> so we just covered all of yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> well, the one you didn't cover was that the possible, the what do they call it, the bully theory. Oh, I, I like that one. Was that, so allegedly that Matthias had a sister. Uh, I'm sure that part's true. But the, the, the sister was dating a local, you know, local boy or man or whatever, and she broke up with him. And he actually ran into Matthias and the gang at the base or basketball game, and so the idea was is that they followed Matthias and the group out of the town, and they kept following them and essentially chasing them. So the rumored was there was a witness that said there was a scuffle, but no one's ever said there was a scuffle. So that's all hearsay right there at like a gas station or something like that. Um, but it's alleged that they made it to the lake, Lake Oroville, which is on the way to the mountaintop. And that Matthias actually was dumped in the lake. And they took his shoes, and I don't know why that would be an advantage, but they took his shoes. That's why I would explain why the shoes were up in the mountain with them. They sort of dumped Matthias there, and they, they pushed the rest of the group on top. So maybe something happened in the lake where now they don't want witnesses, and then they take him up there, which would have followed them and pushed them all the way up there. And then to make sure they stay up there, they, you know, they take the one survivalist out, and the rest, one of those in the military, I believe, too. But for the most part, that's you're kind of doomed out there. So that was a big theory, but there's no proof on that one either. So, Well, the one big thing that kind of sticks out, irregardless, is you have three separate witnesses saying that they saw them associate some degree from a rusty red truck. And the weird part is, is that two of the three are like post February 25th. We know for a fact that the car was there on the yeah. 25th because the park ranger, who is the most viable witness you're going to have, mm-hmm. says it was there. And Brownsville is located 20 miles further from where the ca- uh, the car was found. So 20 miles forward. They didn't get to Brownsville yet. So when, these, uh, when the witnesses say, hey, we've seen them in Brownsville, that's... 20 miles away from where the car was left and two days post 
where they were supposed to be home. For the tournament. Yeah, oh, yeah, for the tournament. Right, which is another reason why Matthias, we, you know, we go back to blaming Matthias for all this. He also was excited for the tournament. Mm-hmm. So why would he be excited for a tournament that he knows he's not going to go to if he's the one planning this? Well, and what did he get out of it? Right, he doesn't get anything out of it. Exactly. I mean, I mean, like it's, I don't, know, I don't know the full symptoms of schizophrenia, but I'm pretty sure that's what voices and shit like that. You start kind of losing yourself. Paranoia too, but <laughs> someone so. that was highly treated and leveled out. I mean, something could trigger that, could trigger an effect, an event, so to speak. But right. these guys are friends. They've been engaged in a competitive team sport, and that didn't trigger. So, like, what could they have possibly done to make it? Tr- I don't know. It just. I mean, once they were on their own, it's kind of like the friendship thing is great, but that's when people start to turn on each other and shit. Like, well, uh, Matthias is, is the, the quote-unquote newest friend of the group. Right. He'd only known them for, I think they said, two years at that point. So, you know, there's a, there's a obviously gaps in our information as well, for instance. So my my questions are, because I don't know, for instance... In the original, we know for a fact they stopped at a gas station after the basketball game. They bought treats. They bought snacks. Were the candy wrappers in the car? They left. Uh, I saw that uh, they talked about all, a lot of their snacks that they bought at the gas station was left in the car. Intact? Intact, like they haven't been eaten yet. So then my, quest- my second follow-up question is, if it's true that they went, because I think there was an account of they were – actually seen on the 25th and the 26th at the Brownville station or the gas stations Mm -hmm. buying treats again. Mm -hmm. If that's true, where do we know where those treats are? Do we see the candy wrappers? Are they in the car? Where are those candy wrappers? And then why not shove those in your pocket? (laughs) Like, I mean, I'm not getting out of the car even to walk into someone's house without a candy bar. They're finding their (laughs) clothes. Do the candy, are the candy in the clothes? Right. Because in my mind, okay, it does give some validation to the fact that they were traveling in a red truck, if this is true, because if they can't find the candy or the sodas that they purchased on the 25th, 26th scenario, then maybe they were in someone else's car. And then maybe it's possible whoever they were with, let's say, let's, I mean, let's say someone, like, kidnapped them, let's say, let's say. Then return them to their car. Take us back. Take us back. I want to go home. I want to go home. Fine. We'll take you back. The red truck rolls back up on the 26th, 27th. And that's when they start because their bodies aren't found for almost another three and a half months. Mm -hmm. So we don't even know what day they trekked from the car up the mountain. We don't. We're just assuming it's all happening the same night. I mean, bottom line. Yeah, it reads to me like, hey, we took a wrong turn. We ended up somewhere. We got really overwhelmed, so we got out of the car type of situation, and then weather kind of took it. But it just doesn't make sense how they ended up that far away. Or, you know, I, I think I read that they still had plenty of gas. And then once they yeah, found they still food. Yeah, quarter tank of gas. Right. The, the, so he, seven miles, you could have saved yourself. But, I mean, if you're up there and it's dark and, and you don't know the area, yeah, it's the overwhelming. And the car wasn't stuck. Right. right. It wasn't it was just stuck. parked. So, I mean – 
it doesn't make sense as to why they didn't just turn around. But I guess if you're overwhelmed, maybe you get out to try to see what you're doing. And like, I could see why they'd split up. I don't know. It just, it's weird as to why they were even there. Right. What would compel five adult males to leave their fully operational vehicle to go up a mountain? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, th- that's actually the three major questions. What, what causes them to deviate from taking that split from the beginning what is that, the 99 or the 5? Or both? From going Instead of going to Yuba, they go to Orville. That's the first question. The second, what p- compels them to go all the way up this mountain to Plumas National Park? What compels them? And then, thirdly, what compels them to leave a fully operational vehicle to go up a mountain instead of down the mountain where they just passed the bar? No. So there's, there's another far-fetched kind of hard, far-fetched theory that I, I was seeing was about our witness, Joseph Schoen, how, you know, how he talked about, there's, there's some time gaps in like what he said, what time he went up there and what time the boys were there and all that. But in the car, when he was getting the ride back, Schoen said that there, there was a vehicle tailgating him and made him pull off into the snow. So that vehicle could very well been our Yuba City 5 guys just driving crazy and whatnot. And the theory is that he gets all pissed off because now he got his car stuck and he gets out of the car and walks back to where the boys were. And that's why the driver's seat was rolled down because the driver was talking to somebody. And a lot of our that were in the car, the Yuba City Five guys, they were very non-confrontational. Some of them, they said that they were like, they they didn't do well under stress and, you know, they started to freak out or shut down during like stressful situations. So maybe there was a, like a confrontation that broke out between Shown and, and the guys. And maybe that's why he had a heart attack rather than pushing his car and whatnot. And for whatever reason, made the, uh, the guys flee into the woods. So, you know, the, the windows rolled down, whatever, and Shown went and did his own thing. They were saying that because Shown had a disabled, challenged daughter, that maybe there, he's had a run-in with the boy's prior to that because because of a statement at the bar saying I should have done this two years ago like what happened two years ago and Matthias's prior history like, history yeah with, with like oh with his uh, own problems his yeah, mental health his mm-hmm. mental health and his uh he had assault charges I think Criminal he had history. and it, it said that he like hated women so maybe something happened with the daughter and Matthias previously because I mean wherever you go you run into the same group of people like Right. We like rock. We go to Sacramento. We run in a bunch of rock, rockers, right? Well, and this is 78. I right. mean, we're not talking the kind of population we're dealing with now. Yeah. I mean, and this is just a theory. I mean, is it possible they kind of all had interactions with the same type of program mm-hmm. or their programs had interactions right. with each other? Or right. how many neither, programs are there? Neither Yuba, Marysville, or Chico are very big, even now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're bigger than where we're at now, but they're, they're, I, mean, I can only assume that it was way smaller back in the 78. Right. So. Well, people taking a hop, skim, and a jump for an hour is nothing. Yeah, I mean, we do that all the time. All the time. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> so that was that was one of the little far fetched theories that he could have had something to do with it, but right, the, the timelines and everything. Yeah, and then he just kept changing the story, and he he got mad at the investigators when they started asking, like, you know, can you explain farther detail? And he's like, no. Nah, you know. Well, the truth has no lies. Yeah. That's the bottom line. <laughs> the truth doesn't you? change. How do you guys feel about the mummy? Like, what what do we think about that? 
so somebody obviously was in the room or in the cabin with him. So he, to, to he wrap was him wrapped up. up, wrapped up, or yes. was he just covered? You know, except for his feet. Except for his feet, he was completely covered. Huh. And you can't necessarily do that. To yourself, but you know what gets me about that is it's remorseful, right? So it almost is like he succumbed to the weather, maybe even closer to that cabin trailer, and that person brought them in and then wrapped him because that's what you do with your dead, right? You wrap. Right, but he still had the beard. I don't know, but I mean, he still could have been alive for a while and succumbed to it. You yeah, know, with I mean, they could have around. lived in that trailer for a long time, and you finally I mean, they ate died. Food, right? And I mean, what the guy that wasn't found, he's like, oh well, I'm on my own now. And this body's starting to stink. Well, I think it's up. even just remorse. It's a respect thing. Like if if so, if I was with someone, we're remorse stuck out or there. Guilt. Well, either, but I mean, I I think it's a respect thing. It's very traditional to wrap a body. So it kind of depends. Like that might be something you learn in the military. Even like I don't mean I don't know. All right. Well, I just again unsolved mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate these ones. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's what we have for you tonight on the business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. That's it. That's all I do. <laughs> <laughs> we have a Facebook page <laughs> where the dark corners are. Facebook. At Facebook.com. <laughs> we have an email, and Panda would love to tell you about it. Yeah, I sure would if someone else would do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> and where the dark corners are at Yahoo? Gmail. Or Gmail. Sorry. So much I, do, so much I use it. If you have a topic <laughs> or a serial killer you'd like us to cover... Send it to the email. Send it to the Facebook. Tell us what happened to the Yuba City Five. What are your theories? Yes. What are your theories? All are right. we wrong? Right? Indifferent? Right. Who, you know, what really happened? All right. Final thought, Samantha. I just think it's crazy. Unfortunately, up in uh, Northern California, we have a lot of really rural roads, and these types of things happen quite often, you know, in my experience, in my professional career, and the stuff that I've heard, you know, we do find bodies that have some come to the weather many, many times up here. And so to hear this and to hear them, like I, I, it breaks my heart that they're, that they were probably scared and that they suffered. It breaks my heart that poor Jackie's dad found his body. Like, but I mean, I guess that's the ultimate closure. I just wish we had answers. Right. For the family. I would like to throw out a YouTube video that actually covers a lot of this and I got, I got a lot of my information from there. It's uh, the creator is the missing enigma and it's Yuba, the Yuba County five mystery and the mountains part one and two. It's actually really detailed and, and it's got a bunch of artwork in it and it has a bunch of case notes and uh, pictures and stuff. So uh, it's kind of long. So, but if you're interested in it, it's yeah, really it goes good. in greater detail and everything else that things we didn't cover here. That's a good watch. There's, a, I mean, there's everyone's done this on their podcast or whatever too, so but it's always kind of nice to do do it with it, kind of compare notes and see what else brings together. You know what what one podcast said, what the other one just says. So even on Reddit, even Reddit blows up with it. People talking about I it. I love so, Reddit. Yeah, Reddit's crazy. So it's a popular topic. It's a popular thing that's been around for fifty years now. So almost fifty years. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and again, it's these. These are the big questions: What made them deviate? What made them go up the mountain? What made them get out of the car? The car. The car. The car. Well, and unfortunately, it's so far away and so far removed. I don't think we'll ever get answers, and that sucks. So right, and chances are, you know, Gary. Unfortunately, forty years now, he may not even be alive. Again, no. he may not even made it out of the forest. He'd potentially be sixty-five now. 
And yeah, I mean, who knows where he is? If, if he, if he did it, I'm sure he has a completely different identity. And someday we're gonna like DNA test, and we're gonna randomly find him, like we did the Golden State Killer. <laughs> but right, I don't think that that's likely. Final thoughts, Vina. I just, I this part of the reason I wanted to do it was because, like I said, this happened in our own backyard. Mm-hmm. And two, it's it's the whys that keep you up. Mm-hmm. The whys. Oh, yeah, and don't think that it can't happen to you because you have a cell phone and you call for help because up in the mountains in oh, the yeah. snow, there ain't, no, there there ain't nothing no up help. here. Nope. Go on your own. So Watch a YouTube good. video on how to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> Who abandons you? Oh, gosh. <laughs> you would be that one. <laughs> I would survive. I Later. <laughs> but, yeah, but then like, the thing is maybe he survived, but he now he can't tell anybody he survives because he's probably fucked up from it and is like, oh, I can't tell nobody that happened, so. Well, that's the other thing, too. Let's say he is completely innocent, and unfortunately, he's the last survivor. You just saw your friends die. I think it's insanely unlikely that he's alive, especially when they found Jackie in pieces. His it's bones. very possible that that's the same thing. So, yeah. But, I mean, wild animals. We got bears. We got mountain lions. Puma. We got wolves. Puma. He's got a puma. Well, I mean, he didn't even... So he would have known Jack kept his car keys. I wouldn't think so. My point is, you you know, go back the way you came, grab, grab the, the car, car keys, keys yeah, and go. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that right there to me <laughs> is like the, uh, I don't want to say makes him look innocent, but it does not make him look suspicious on any level. I don't think so. Especially but. when you have access to leave. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. <laughs> we got to let it go. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. We'll be here for all night. <laughs> all right. So until next time, please remember. Only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are. Jack was a military vet. Was that a koala bear? <laughs> it was a koala bear. <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> I muted myself, so Fuck. Really no, you, we heard it in everybody else's <laughs> yeah. mic. It's okay. <laughs> Okay, I'll do it again. Thank you. Is it my turn? Yes. Yeah, take away polar bear. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Show us what you got. One of the first witnesses that confirmed that the boys were at the football game was Mr. Lee. He was a... Uh, oh, did I say baseball? He's a football. football. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said none of those things. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're laughing through the pain. <laughs> Can you say Volkswagen again? Volkswagen. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. Volkswagen. Volkswagen. <laughs> you want me to yell it? <laughs> yes. She's all Ukrainian up, baby. Ukrainian up. I'm like, do it. <coughs> do it again. I love an accent. Sorry, wifey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <hey>. so, <laughs> so I was talking to people. People died. <laughs> <laughs> You're ruining this. <laughs> um, 